0: Hello, and welcome to the Good News Podcast, where we try to share the good news of Christ's salvation. We'll try to upload a new message every week for you. For more information, or to send us a comment, please visit us at www.gathered.com. Thank you. The following message was given by David Oliver of Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, at the Brookfield Gospel Hall in Brookfield, Connecticut, in the fall of 2003. It was part of a two-week seminar series on future events entitled Finding Security in an Uncertain World. For outlines of these messages, please go to www.gather.com. The question was asked about the invasion that's given to us in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, where the armies from the north and some of the Arab nations come down into the northern mountains in Israel and have a plan to attack the unwalled cities and I mentioned that there will be seven months in which there will be a cleanup. after that uh, the dead body will be buried for seven months but then uh, on the outline that was given up it said seven years and the uh, difference is that the same passage, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 9 says that the uh, the equipment the machine the spears, the spears and the shields and the bows and the all the equipment of war that will be, uh, destroyed there by this natural disaster that comes on them, it will take them seven years to burn it, seven years to clean up the, the waste, but it will take them seven months to bury the people. And so there is that difference. The question with that, these uh, seven months mean seven weeks sometimes. No, seven weeks of years in Daniel chapter 9 mean 49 years, uh, seven years per week, 49 years years for seven weeks and so on but uh, when the Bible says years you take it to mean years when the Bible uses words you take those words to have their literal meaning unless there is a reason in the passage that gives us an understanding that the word is not to be taken literally. God communicates by words. His greatest communication was the word which was in the beginning and became flesh Unchangeably, at incarnation, he is God, and uh, God has communicated Himself in a word, one word, our Lord Jesus Christ, His beloved Son. I oh, want to read tonight, first of all, in Exodus chapter 15, please, the Book of Exodus chapter 15. verse 17. We only sang one hymn tonight because there's so much that we could read and quite a bit we should read so just want to touch on various passages. You know that the children of Israel have been redeemed out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb and they have been now brought through the Red Sea and they, there's this song that is being sung Miriam and Moses and, and uh, are singing this tremendous song and here's the climax of it Verse 17. Thou shalt bring them in, so this is the possession, the land of promise, and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. So there is the possession by these people in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. That is the place of God's sanctuary, in the next words, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. So they're looking onward now to their future. They're going to enter this land. They're the people to whom God has promised it. And God will have a place that is his dwelling place, his sanctuary in that land. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So they're anticipating what will be the result of what God has begun in redemption and the Lord will reign forever and ever over his people Israel. Now that's not true at the present time. And it hasn't been true uh, for some centuries. But it will be true. And that's what we're reading about tonight. Psalm 72 is a thrilling psalm. The conclusion of the psalm, David says, The prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended. And I think we may understand that to be this is the highest point of David's prayer. This is the greatest of David's longings that are expressed in Psalm 72. Verse 1. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. And while this psalm was given, I would take it given by David for Solomon, yet the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who claims the fulfillment of all of this He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressed, social justice. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. Verse 7, In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And from the river unto the ends of the earth, they they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And verse 15. And he shall live. And to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like leaven, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. Verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say. Come ye. And let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of God from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations. And shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Last night we read in Joel where they would be beating their plowshares into swords. Instead of spending money for agriculture, the Department of Labor is not getting the money, but the Department of Defense, they're beating their metal into spears. Uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. War will be ended, and it will be a prosperous society. And their spears into fruiting hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Over to chapter 11. Verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, one who shoots grows out of Jesse's stem, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eye. He will reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now you will recognize those two statements at the end of that verse, similar to what you have in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and in Revelation chapter 19, which we will look at again tonight. So his smiting the nations, is his coming in power and glory, and the equity and justice of his, of his judgment. And verse five says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his of his reins. And the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fat lamb together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ass, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cock of the stand. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And this is an amazing statement. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Now I'll wave back to chapter 60 in Isaiah. Verse 15. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated. So that no man went through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency. A joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles. And shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I the Lord. Am thy savior and thy redeemer. The mighty one. Of Jacob Verse 19: The sun shall be no more thy light by day; neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God, thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down; neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteous; they shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planning, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation, I the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Chapter 65. And we will begin our reading at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more fence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. That's what had happened in the land before at the times of judgment they would build but then their enemies came in and take their habitations. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bring forth for trouble for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer them. And while they are yet speaking I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullet and thus shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all thy holy mountain. Maybe we'll move over to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Back two books from Matthew. Zachariah chapter 14. Verse 1. Behold the day of the Lord. Down at verse 8. And it shall be in that day. So this is all describing this one great and terrible day of the Lord, the day when the Lord comes. In judgment down at verse number 9 and the Lord shall be a king, be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned to the plain from Diva to Riman, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, under the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel, under the king's wine presses, and men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be faithfully inhabited. And this is the plague. For with the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. Now down at verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come, came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not shall have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord and the pot in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them. And see therein, in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite, that is the trafficker, the merchant man in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now, we'll stop at Romans 8 on our way through the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the Son of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and traveleth in pain together until now. And this is going back to Adam's sin, and as a result of Adam's sin, God subjected the world to a curse, to vanity, frustration, because he had in mind bringing release. Uh, and it's going to be accompanied with the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 23 For not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, <coughs> Ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he have hope for? This hope is not the uncertainty that we we think maybe it will come. We hope it will come. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. This is the certainty of hope. Received the moment a person is saved, certain of the hope of the glory of God. For what a man sees, why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not. Then do we with patience, we for it. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That was anticipated when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, on their way to the land of promise, and now the time for the fulfillment of it is come. He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come. Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and to them that fear thy name small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Now finally in chapter 20. Verse 4 of chapter 20. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints above, and the beloved city, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, all that reading is selected reading because there's a great volume of truth we will touch in various passages. I think it's thrilling when you're reading the Word of God just to recognize what is being described. The expression repeated in Revelation chapter 20, a thousand years is to be understand, understood meaning a thousand years. And that's the reason for the expression, the millennium, a thousand years, century is a hundred, a decade, ten, a millennium, a thousand. Now, in the night that has passed, we have uh, spent actually, we have stretched a week into eight nights because we have been looking at the uh, week, the last week of prophecy, the you last know, seven years actually, beginning here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and last night we came to the end of the week, eight nights to get through a week. But tonight we will make up for it, and we'll handle a thousand years in one day. So we're looking at. Uh, at, uh, the ideal conditions that will prevail during the thousand year reign of our Lord Jesus Christ a curse, the curse of sin will be rolled back it will not be rolled back completely but there will be a roll back that anticipates the next day which we will look at the day of God tomorrow night and uh, God will um, deal with righteousness in righteousness and he'll deal with sin in this world but the greatest problem of sin in this world will not be remedied by the millennium, and we have read about that in Revelation chapter twenty. The problem is the curse of man's heart, and we will have to look at that at the close of our meeting. So we have everything right at last, well almost right, and that remains to be completed in the last night, the day of God, which is an eternal state. Now the outline that you have in front of you. Indicates that the commencement of this kingdom is with the return of Christ. We have noted that in the passages we've read in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. Also what you have in Revelation chapter 11. His coming back to the earth is the moment, the key point on which then this thousand year kingdom begins and it will begin with judgment. So all that is Sinful is removed before the kingdom begins. We looked last night at the various judgments and the various classes of Jew or Gentile who do not have eternal life will be removed from the kingdom, cast into the lake of fire or slain with the sword and all that begin this kingdom, the citizens of this kingdom, at the very beginning will be only those who are right with the Lord. And so the city itself sits over this kingdom and it shares in the rain. The Lord himself dwells in that city. So there's a heavenly Jerusalem, and there's a Jerusalem on earth. There's a man on earth who is actually uh, taking care of the kingdom for the Lord, and the Lord himself administers from the city. The church is in that city, and the resurrected saints, and this is not universally accepted by teachers that I respect, but uh, the, uh, perhaps we're talking here about the resurrected Old Testament saints. Who will be in that city? Uh, But at least you have the resurrected saints that are linked with that city where the church is on display. There will be tribulation saints raised from the earth and they're going to reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. So there are the redeemed Gentiles we looked at last night. That would be the sheep that the shepherd divides and they enter into the joy of the Lord, the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. You have the redeemed Jews. You may remember the parable of the tares where an enemy hath done this: He sowed wrong seed into the field that the owner of the field had sowed with good seed. And he says to leave them alone until the end of the harvest. And he interprets that the harvest is the end of the world. That is when he comes back to judge the end of the age. And uh, at that time, the angels will gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But the righteous he will gather together and bring them into the barn is what is said and the Lord Jesus interprets that that the righteous then will shine at the stars forever in the kingdom of their father. So you have the redeemed Jews that will be coming into the kingdom uh, at the end of the seven year period of time and then there will be millennial children that is people that will be born by natural generation during this one thousand year period of time. We read about those a child uh, would be a hundred uh, in other words instead of an untimely death of child dying in infancy uh, children will live to be a hundred and uh, so we're looking at for the moment we'll look at other changes down here but for the moment we're looking at the fact that the citizens of this kingdom will include people that are born of the flesh and as the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 3 that which is born of the flesh is flesh so they will be uh, men and women as they grow who need to be converted, need to receive everlasting life. Some of them will, but not all. They have their choice just as we do at the present time. So just think with me of some of the characteristics of this kingdom. not so sure I would be able to encompass everything that should be, but I have listed here for us seven changes that will be uh, characteristics of that kingdom. We read in Zechariah chapter um, 14 last night, that the Lord will touch his feet will touch the Mount of Olives and there will actually be an east to west split of the Mount of Olives and part moving north and part moving south and there will be then living waters that flow out of Jerusalem and they will flow out of Jerusalem through this valley that is made down to the Dead Sea and they will flow to the other sea they will flow out to the Mediterranean Sea as well This will be by supernatural power, but there will be topographical changes there, and we read also in Zechariah 14 tonight about the change in the topology of the land of Israel and uh, the places that will be inhabited there as well. So there will be some topographic changes as a result of earthquakes and, and the coming of the Lord in power and glory. Then there will be governmental changes. The Lord will be king over all the earth, there will be one government. It's interesting that uh, there are movements afoot to bring the world together and to bring governments together and to uh, have one community in the world. Well, it would be ideal if that one world were ruled by Christ. It would be catastrophe if that one world is ruled by any other individual. So. The nations will all be reduced to subjection to him. We read in Psalm 72 about the various kings that will all bring their presence to him. All kings, all governments in the world will own allegiance to Christ and he will have ultimate authority and power over all of them. In fact, I love the words of Isaiah 42. It says, uh, Behold my servant, whom I hold mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have set my spirit upon him and he shall bring forth judgment on the earth. Then down in verse three, it speaks about this one who will not cry nor strive nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street, but he shall bring forth righteousness in truth. But when you come down to verse four, it says there that this one is going to bring forth righteousness in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Now, I always love to do this when there are people from Prince Edward Island uh, in the gathering. But you just think of the most remote corner of the world. Some island somewhere off of the no-place coast that nobody bothers to go to. But there are a few people living there. You got the picture of the government in that day? away out there on that remote island in the middle of no place. They'll be waiting for the, the Lord from Jerusalem. To give his law. To just administer the problem in the island. We've got a difficulty here. And we need to know what is the mind of the great king. And the isles shall wait for his law. There won't be one remote, remote corner of this world. As not touched by the benevolent government of our Lord Jesus Christ. Marvelous day that is coming of all the governments. You uh, read about the The child born the Son given, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace, and the governments shall be upon his shoulder. He'll carry them all on his shoulder in mighty power. The governments of the coming world will all be on his shoulder, depending on his strength. There will be environmental changes as well. And we read in Psalm 72 that in the tops of the mountains there would be fields of grain and fruit growing in uninhabitable and uh, barren parts of the world. And so there will be tremendous environmental changes. Uh, it was by the way, fine. there are some people that think we'll have to go back to horse and buggies because technology has endangered the environment, and for the environment to be preserved we go back to horse and buggy and we get rid of all the smoke stacks and and all of that, then that will be the answer I just tell you this, I just don't think the Lord needs us to go go back to horse and buggy in order to accomplish his work I have no question that technology will flourish, but there will be environmental changes and the environment will be preserved Uh, I think we should be environmentally sensitive, but I'm not really concerned either that the environment is going to uh, bring the world into total chaos and destruction. It's all preserved for him who's going to come. But in Isaiah 35, you have a reminder of desert places blooming. Actually, if you look over to Israel now, there are some places that have formerly been barren and they are being irrigated in bananas and grapes and all fruitfulness in various places. But that's just a little foreshadowing of what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 35, and he speaks about there the that um, will come to the environment itself so, zoological changes <coughs> lions will eat straw and cows and bears will have their young ones together and uh, the wolf and the lamb will no longer be predator and victim but they will lie down together uh, poisonous snakes the cockatrice and the ass, children won't have to be careful of them Because there will be a change in the animal kingdom. Instead of tooth and claw as the rule of of the animal kingdom, there will be a peacefulness, there will be a harmony that exists among the animals. Physical changes? We read in Isaiah chapter 65 of the prolonged length of human life. At the beginning, from Adam up until after the flood, the longest lifespan approached a thousand years. Nine hundred sixty-nine years for Methuselah. Of course, Enoch was only three hundred sixty-five years, but uh, the longest lifetime, like lifespan, was a thousand years, almost. And the lifespan in this period of time will return back to that thousand-year approximately that time, and uh, a child will uh, uh, will be young in a hundred, and so there will be tremendous changes as far as the physical environment are concerned. And yet, a man of a hundred who disobeys the Lord, he will be brought to death for his disobedience. And in fact, what we read, and we look at it uh, here in this seventh section, but there will be exact justice and the justice will fit the crime with immediate justice for the world. Be some world. Now with all the delays for justice, you wonder whether... Uh, justice will be meted out and waiting and waiting and somebody in jail or free who is going to be proven guilty but there will be immediate justice from the Lord himself administered in the world and uh, where there is disobedience to him there is the possibility of a death sentence suggested there at the end of Isaiah chapter 65 there will be spiritual changes God's promise to Israel the new covenant blessings to Israel are spiritual blessings as well as their national blessings. And God promises them a land. He will be their God. And uh, they will be brought to triumph. But more important. The Lord gives this promise. the new covenant. Their hearts will be changed. Their heart of stone will be made. A heart of flesh. And he says. I will write my law on their heart. And in their mind will I write it. And they shall all know the Lord. So that. The nation of Israel, as it enters this millennial period of time, everyone from the nation of Israel entering that period of time, will be enjoying that spiritual blessing from the new covenant. There will be, as well, ceremonial changes. Now, some strange things that I think we need to note, and perhaps try to explain. Uh, They will be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. We read that in Zechariah chapter 14. That's the mm-hmm. seventh of the annual feast of the Jews. It is the feast, interestingly enough, that uh, speaks of every man sitting under his fig tree and every man under his vine. It all points forward to the day when they will be in the land enjoying rest under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they will not only be keeping the feast, according to Zechariah 14, but they will also, in Ezekiel 43, right through to the end of the book. They will also uh, have sacrifices and uh, there will be a priesthood that will be functioning and there will be an altar in Jerusalem that will be functioning as well. Now, that needs some explanation because all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were uh, signposts pointing on to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ that he would give his life and the value of his life His blood would be for forgiveness, for acceptance, and for all that is involved in all those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Now, when you come to the New Testament, to carry on those sacrifices to put away sin was to go back from the one sacrifice of Christ that accomplished all in that once-for-all death, the offering, the once-for-all offering of the body of Jesus Christ. That once-for-all death is the basis of every redemptive blessing that God will bring to this earth, to the nation of Israel, and to all the world. And uh, there need not be any further repetition of any offerings in order to bring forgiveness, redemption, and blessing. So I can only understand that when these offerings will be offered in the Millennial Kingdom, they will be offered at the memorial. I don't want to go too far with this because... Uh, when we take bread and a cup and remember the Lord, those are only memorials. It's not the Lord Jesus dying all over again. But those are memorials of his death. And uh, it may be that that is just a little type of reminder that those offerings in the future will be memorials of the death of Christ. They will in themselves have no intended significance for taking away sin. But they are Memorials of that once for all offering. Now, let me come finally. If that's more difficult to see, I move that up. Well, you have it on your map anyway. But the conclusion of the kingdom. We read in Revelation chapter 20 that this kingdom will be for a thousand years. At the beginning of it, in the beginning of Revelation chapter 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years. But the thousand years comes to an end. And at the end of this thousand years, he's loosed. You would almost say this is unbelievable. For a thousand years, a world has known a righteous government far beyond anything that has ever been, been accomplished down through all the centuries of government. Justice and righteousness prevailing. Spiritually, the world has been a bright joyous grace. Men bowing before the Lord Jesus. I love Psalm 72 to me, it's a special song. But you, you read about all the prayer, prayer being made for the king. Pray, prayer being made to him, probably is the, is the proper word. Daily. The whole world is bowing together in prayer to the Lord. And uh, no matter where you turn in the world, someone is saying, why, oh, he's blessed. And they're pronouncing a blessing on the Lord Jesus. What a, what a scene in this world where we're used to darkness and cursing and sin and crookedness and deception. And when the devil is released at the end of that period of time, he will find a number of people, as many as the sands of the sea, who will be drawn to him like a magnet, draws iron filings, and they will all gather around him from Gog and Magog. That seems to be a center of rebellion that we were looking at the other night as well. But suddenly, this great army surrounds the beloved city, in the camp of the saints, back to Jerusalem, just as it was at the beginning of this period of time. And the devil, the devil, strange to say, is making another attempt. He attempted in the wilderness of for redemption. He attempted to break through the life of the Lord Jesus to put the Lord Jesus to death apart from the cross. Unsuccessful. And he tries through this seven year period of time to wipe out the nation of Israel so there will be no nation for the kingdom to be fulfilled with. He's put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years and he comes out again. You would think he'd learn something. And he surrounds Jerusalem again to dethrone the Lord Jesus to somehow or other take away from him and from his everlasting kingdom. And so there's a rebellion that takes place. Now God handles the rebellion with no problem. As quickly as it comes up, fire falls from heaven and the rebellion is ended. And the devil himself is now cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet have been for a thousand years. But here's the question. Why? Why when the environment is right? Why when every force around the human family is optimal, Does the devil still find an echo in some human hearts? The answer is, we noted it here well, earlier when we talked about children of the millennium. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And you cannot expect anything from human nature, unregenerate human nature. You cannot expect anything from, nature, from human nature of a person who has not been given eternal life. You can't expect anything from human nature but rebellion against God. I've just noted Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, And our authorized says desperately, but it is incurably. The heart is the sequel of all things and incurably wicked. Human nature, with all the ultimate of good circumstances around it, cannot be perfected. Human nature is not (coughs) perfectible. Human nature is not repairable. Human nature is not really improvable as far as God is concerned. Human nature is a total lost a total layoff as far as God is concerned. And here is the proof of it. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 explained by the previous verse. The mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. And this is the most telling indictment of human nature in all my Bible. It says it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The unregenerate mind does not bow to obey God's law. And there is nothing apart from redemption, there is nothing that can cause human nature to bow to God. The proof of it is here at the end of this kingdom when again, with all the conditions being right, man still is an enemy of God. So much for All the liberal attempts to perfect society because no matter how much you perfect the outside, the problem remains the inside. And there is only one answer for the inside and that answer is life. Divine life. Eternal life given by God himself. I would want to spend some time just now emphasizing the impact of what we've talked about with human nature. The first point that I would want to make is this. That because human nature is as depraved as God tells us it is in the Word of God, because human nature is depraved, we need to be saved. Man cannot enter God's holy presence in his native condition. We need to be saved. We need To be regenerated, we need to have everlasting life received as a personal gift. we need to be born again. You have in Jerusalem the most educated and perhaps the most kind, sincere gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. All his religion, all his attempts to live by the law and to keep all that the law has to say. The Lord Jesus says nothing about hypocrisy with Nicodemus. He says nothing about his personal sins. But he tells him this. You may be the. This is my addition for the moment. You may be the best man in Jerusalem. You may be the best specimen of human nature. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And so we must be saved. We must be born again because of human nature, that God says is depraved. But more than that, we cannot contribute. To salvation. Because of human nature's being what it is. For by grace are ye saved. Grace takes away all thought of merit. Grace is the unmerited kindness and favor of God. By grace are ye saved. Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Why can't man contribute? to his own salvation from eternal judgment. Why can't man contribute? Just a little bit. After all, we don't want to just be told that we can't do it and we're going to have to have it done for us. Why cannot we do what needs to be done in order to escape eternal judgment? Because everything that man touches, he takes by the sin that is within him. Man cannot save himself. You cannot save yourself tonight. Your praying will not save you. All your attempts to reform will not save you. If you manage to outwardly keep the law of God for the rest of the days of your life, it would not save you. You and I cannot save ourselves. Really, my text for the moment is this. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Without strength. Human nature has rendered man incapable of producing the righteousness that the courtroom of heaven demands. And that righteousness can only be conferred by God himself. And so, not only do we need to be saved because we are ruined in sin, we cannot contribute to our own salvation because we are ruined in sin. Another must do the saving for us, or we will never be saved. Salvation must be apart from us altogether. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The death of Christ provides absolutely everything that is necessary for salvation for those who are without strength. I have a a spot in my memory like a hard drive that's stuck at that spot I have a spot in my memory that's stuck on that particular verse because many times when I have heard our son tell how he was saved he will use his physical experience as an example of his spiritual experience when he was swimming on the wave carried him instead of toward the shore into the sand at the bottom of the ocean floor and his neck was broken and he figured he was going to drown because he had no strength. Not able to move his arms, not able to move his leg, not able to feel and he figured that there's no way this was tough. The waves took him that way, they took him that way and uh, fortunately for him, a friend of his, Ken Cube, I love him. Ken Cube just over to the right of where Rob swimming, the two of them had been belly surfing in. He expected Rob to jump up first, which was typical. And instead of that, there was no Rob to be seen. And he kept calling out to him, Rob, quit fooling around. And uh, there was no response until he finally saw Rob's head bob up to the surface and then down again. And he realized Rob was in trouble, ran over to where he was. Fortunately, Rob's swimsuit became visible and he grabbed the swimsuit and was able to cradle his head call for the lifeguard friends and the lifeguard came put him on a boogie board and they carried him into the shore but Rob's point in telling the story is he was without strength and for him to be saved from drowning physically saved from drowning it all depended on Ken and Dave and Mark and the lifeguard without strength and so that's just how a soul is saved when we were yet without strength in due time. This is all that is required for the salvation of the soul. Christ died for the ungodly. His sacrifice alone puts away sin. His sacrifice alone makes a sinner fit for the holy presence of God. And so, we must be saved because of our depraved human nature. We cannot contribute to salvation because of our depraved human nature. Another must provide salvation because we are totally incapable of providing it. Thank God the message of the gospel is He did provide it, He did die. He took the judgment that the ungodly deserve. He paid for those sins by giving His own blood, by giving His own life. And there is an offer of free forgiveness, there is an offer of justification for a world of men and women. On what basis? Therefore, being made right with God, therefore being justified by faith, we have ultimate well-being with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every person who is right with God is right with God by faith on the basis of what Christ did because of the grace of God. Romans chapter 3, Therefore now, wherefore now, Being justified by grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. Romans chapter 5 is at verse 9. Justified by his blood. Made right with God. Pronounced right in the courtroom of heaven. Never to be brought into judgment for sin. On the basis of something outside of myself. Totally. Not with any human merit. It's by grace. Not with any human work. It's by faith. And it's not from myself, but it is by the precious blood of Christ. Made right with God. And so, sinners ruined by sin can be made right with God with a perfect righteous standing in the sight of God that will never be changed. The righteous standing depends on what Christ did on the cross. And that righteous standing remains unchanged. As men were constituted sinners by Adam's sin, men are constituted righteous by Christ's obedience on the cross, giving his life, a sacrifice for sinners. It is a once for all blessing, an unchangeable standing, made right with God, not on the basis of what I am. Helpless, without strength, solely on the basis of what the Lord Jesus accomplished. Because he died for my sin I will never have to suffer for my sin. Because he took my place and bore what I deserved. I am free, saved from the judgment of my sins through the Christ who died for the ungodly. Christ also hath once for all suffered for sins. He did the suffering. I deserve the suffering. He was the just one, righteous, righteous, He died, suffered for sins for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He brings a guilty sinner to God, accepted, justified, all on the basis of his once for all suffering for sin on the cross. There's not a reason why any soul in this meeting tonight needs to leave this gathering without being right with God without having a gift of eternal salvation, without possessing the salvation of your souls, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, without having the gift of eternal life, the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve. The gift that we don't deserve is eternal life, and it is given through our Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant that every unconverted soul here tonight will not only recognize from this golden age that will end in such a tragic twist as a result of human nature, may everyone learn the need of personal salvation and trust the Lord Jesus Christ tonight for that eternal blessing received in a moment of time by faith. Let us pray.